0: Good morning to all of you here in the uh, fellowship hall. Good morning to all of you there in the worship center. We are so uh, grateful for you being here. Merry Christmas to you. I know some of our family of faith have uh, have already left. They've already made their way to uh, where they're headed for Christmas, but we're glad that you are here for you guests who are here. My name is Paul Jimenez, pastor, and we are so glad that you are here worshiping with us in two rooms at the same time. Isaiah chapter 7 is where we are, and we're going to continue to look at this amazing promise that God made to Joseph when he was engaged to Mary. Let me remind you, uh, as we have both rooms here, let me remind you, come back tonight, 6 o'clock, we'll be in this room uh, for our lessons and carols worship experience. It's a great time for the family of faith. But a great time for all of our families to be together. And the best news is we have hot chocolate and cookies ahead of time. So come early, all right? And come early and come ready to celebrate Christmas and to worship with us. But we are um, in the middle of this Christmas story. Is a promise that's given to Joseph. And it's found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And the promise goes like this. Joseph, all that has happened to you so far. Because Joseph, you're at a crossroads. Remember that word, crossroads. Joseph, you're at a crossroads, and um, all that has happened so far to you, uh, taking Mary, engaged to, to, to this young woman, and she is now with child, she's pregnant, and she claims it's from no other man, she claims this is from the Holy Spirit, Joseph, all the pressure that is on you from, in your own conscience, and from the religious leaders, and from the village of Nazareth, and from from your own family, all the pressure that's on you to divorce her and to put her away and to publicly judge her. Maybe maybe he's thinking, maybe I should do it in a private way. I don't know what's going on. All of this is difficult for me, and I'm going to have to make a decision here, and I'm a little bit fearful, and I'm a little bit uncertain. The promise comes to him. He says, Joseph, hang on just one second. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet." And here's what the prophet said the prophet Isaiah behold the virgin shall conceive and will bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel which is God with us so Joseph God is with you now and God will be with you in the form of this son and it says that Joseph went out and did exactly what the Lord commanded him to do at this crossroads now here's where we've been the last couple of weeks is that we have been at the crossroads when this promise was originally given, 700 years earlier. Let me set the stage as you turn to Isaiah chapter 7 this morning, and we're going to go ahead and try and finish up through chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 in both rooms. Uh, In the worship center, there's a Bible in the pew rack right in front of you. This room here, um, our ushers have Bibles, but many of you can look on in your uh, digital device, so Go ahead and find Isaiah chapter 7. We want to look at a a passage there this morning. But let me set the scene for us as we come to, to verses 10 through 16. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen where this king was at a crossroads, just like Joseph. But this king, unlike Joseph, was a rebellious king. He was a wicked king. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 16, the scriptures tell us that he was so distant from God that some of the things that he did were so despicable before God that his name was ruined forever before God, his, his, his reputation was ruined. He was a wicked, wicked king. But nevertheless, God comes to this king in his time of trouble, and here's the trouble that he's in. He rules over the, ta- or the nation of Judah, and so to his north are two nations, Israel Israel. And Syria. These two kingdoms have joined an alliance. They're in partnership together because they are trying to stave off the invasion of the Assyrians who were further north and further east. And the Assyrians were the global power of the day. And they were moving across and they were taking nations and people groups and they were destroying people and taking them captive. And Israel and Syria was right in their path. And Judah would ultimately be in their path. But Israel and Syria said, Judah, nation to the, just to the south of them, capital city of Jerusalem, King Ahaz there in Jerusalem, you come join with us in order to fight off the Assyrians. And if you don't, we're going to capture you. He refused. And here they come trying to capture this little nation of Judah. And they don't do it, but the king gets wind that they are still ready to do it again, and so he has a choice to make. He's at a crossroads. He has to determine whether or not he is going to live in fear and uncertainty of the threat that's coming down from Israel and Syria, or is he going to trust, as we saw last week, the signs that God gave about himself, the signs that that he had all power over his enemies, that, that he had vision to see beyond what the king could see, that, that his timing was perfect, that he would come just at the right time. And he said, listen, king, through Isaiah the prophet. God said this, I'm giving you all of these signs. I'm just going to ask you not to do what all the other kings do. And that is they trust in foreign nations to save them. The kings try and figure out a way where they can rescue themselves with these other pagan kings. And I've told you not to do that over and over again. I'm simply asking you to trust me and I will deliver and rescue you, king. And the king... Has reservations he's fearful he's at a crossroads just like Joseph was with Mary he's at a crossroads as to whether or not he is going to trust in his own plan of salvation he's going to trust in his own strategy to rescue and save himself or whether he's going to listen to the promises that come down from God the promises of grace and deliverance now we oftentimes are at the same crossroads we tried to spell that out over the last couple of weeks, and I don't know what crossroads you're at right now, but we all face different crossroads. For, the, for those who are older, you're at a point in your life where you're thinking about your legacy. You're thinking about what's going to happen to your finances, what's going to happen to your children and your grandchildren behind you. You're at a point of decision-making about your care. For some of you who, who have families and your children are, are up and you're out of the house, you, you are coming to your own set of crossroads where, you know, financially you, you, have a little, uh, you have a little bit of stability there and you have some flexibility with your time now, but the question is coming to you, what are you going to do with your life now? The kids are gone, perhaps college is done, perhaps kids are married, perhaps grandkids are coming, you're at a crossroads. For some of you, you have families still, you're at a crossroads. You don't know where you're going to go in your career. Maybe maybe this past year hasn't been good to you financially or with your job, and some of you are struggling with decisions that you're going to have to make on behalf of you and your family about what's next for me. Or some of you have have come to a place of fear in your life where you're at a crossroads, and and, and it's a matter of of sickness and a matter of health, or, or maybe it's emotional sickness and emotional health, and you've come to a point in your life where you're trying to figure these things out. Maybe you're single here, you're, you're a college student, or, or, or you finished college, and, and, and you're facing big decisions about whom to marry, you're dating somebody, or, or what career path to take, or what town to live in. We all throughout every stage of our life come to crossroads, and sometimes the challenges and the uncertainties bring fear, sometimes they bring opportunity to us. But the message and the story from Isaiah chapter seven this morning and the king is simply this, it's a question. Whom will you trust when you come to challenges and uncertainties and fears in your life? Will you trust yourself to figure it out? Will you trust your own strategy, your own reasoning, the counsel of those that are around you as you try and worm and work your way through? Or are you going to depend upon God to deliver you and to give you the answers you need? Are you going to be patient? Are you going to wait? Are you going to look for him? And trust in his grace. That's the challenge before us. And it happens all throughout our lives. Sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we handle it well. But this king blows it. This king doesn't handle the situation well. And we come to verse 10. After over in verses 1 through 9, God comes to him and here's what he says. I know what you're going through. And and I know the timing of the situation. And I know you're frantic and I know you're urgent. I understand that. I am here. I am with you. He comes to him and he says, as we saw last week, I know the opposition. I know the threat that faces you. I know why you're afraid of these nations. You're a king. You're responsible for your people. You're worried about uh, about the economy. You're worried about your military. King, I understand that, but I am more powerful than what you're afraid of. I am with you, king. Um, I know that you can't see uh, what's ahead of you. I know you're just worried about, about the, the picture now. You're just trying to figure out a way for, for relief and to get out of the situation you're in now. King, I know that, but King, I can see way ahead of you. I can see years ahead of you. I can see the impact of the decision you're about to make. I am with you. King, will you trust me? And he doesn't. Watch what happens. Here we go, verse 10. So again, The Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God and let it be deep as Sheol, or the place of the dead, or as high as the heavens. So here God is saying, King, I I want you to ask me for a sign that I am with you. Now, I've already tried to assure you with signs about who I am, but now if you want to ask something from me king it can be as high as the heavens it can be as 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 low as the place where the dead is and anything in between i am so willing to come to you if you will simply ask verse 12 but ahaz said i will not ask and i will not put the lord to the test and he said hear then o house of david is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So here it is, verse 14. Therefore, because you're acting this way, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This son, verse 15, he will eat curds and honey, butter and honey, when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, when he's at the point where he understands right from wrong, here's what's going to happen, king, the land whose two kings you dread, Israel and Syria, will be totally deserted. It's all over. It'll be done. So king, I'm with you. Now, here's the interesting part. Thought number one this morning. God extends grace to this king in order to strengthen his faith. God doesn't have to do this. God doesn't have to come to him and say, King, I I, want to show you even greater grace than what I've already given you. He's hard of hearing. Um, God is speaking to him, and he's not listening. God is trying to reveal who he is, and he's he's not fully paying attention or he doesn't want to pay attention. So God says, "Okay, here's what I'm going to do, King. I'm going to extend great grace to you because I want to strengthen your faith. I, want faith. I want to deepen your faith. So I'm going to come and I'm going to do something that I rarely rarely do and that is to come and and allow you to ask me to show you a supernatural sign so just so that you would depend upon me. This is what he's after, dependence upon him. This doesn't happen very often in scripture. Solomon, God comes to him. He's about to rule and he's about to reign. Solomon asks anything you want. What do you want? And he says, give me wisdom. All right, I'll give you wisdom. But it's very, very rare for God to do something like this. And here's a question. I began thinking about this. If God came to you today at the crossroads where you are in your life this morning and said, ask anything in heaven or or below the earth, anything, and I will show it to you, what would it be? What would it be? Um, I I have to be honest with you, Sheree and I have prayed prayers before. God, you're going to have to reveal something incredibly supernatural here. Now, Now, is it wrong? Is it wrong to do that? Is it wrong to ask for things like that? You know, God doesn't come to us and ask us to do that very often. Why? Because I believe he knows where our hearts are. He knows that we might ask for the wrong things or we might ask with the wrong motivation for those things. Um, It's kind of like the story I heard this week when one of the ministers came into my office. We were about to um, sit down for a little bit and he told me a story that he heard on the radio. A story from uh, a broadcast this past week. And uh, it's a story of a a pastor. And it was told by an English author and writer and evangelist as he was speaking at uh, Liberty University. Lynchburg Virginia so I went back and I read the transcript it's a great story It made me laugh when he came into my office it made me laugh when I read the transcript but it, it fits right in he said there's this pastor and uh his he and his family uh, just got a little kitten and so they were out in the garden and they were playing with this kitten and they take the little kitten and they put him up in the tree all cute and he, he climbs up the tree but there's only one problem he goes past a big branch and he gets caught he gets stuck there and they can't get him down. It's too far up. They can't maneuver their way around to find this kitten. So the, so the dad says, all right, here's a great idea. Dads always have great ideas, don't they? He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to get a rope. And we're going to take one end of the rope, and we're going to tie it to the branch. And we're going to take the other end of the rope, and we're going to tie it to the end of the car. <laughs> and so he gets in the car, he, put, he makes a connection there, and he gets in the car, and he begins to drive. Um, and you know how, how it is, just trying to be careful, just trying to step on the accelerator a little bit, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. That branch, sure enough, it's working. Sure enough, it's working. Coming down, coming down slowly, slowly. It keeps going, but he, hit, he accelerates just a little bit too much, and swop. <gasps> there it goes. The cat takes off like a rocket. The branch totally s- snapped. The cat's out, like, in in the stratosphere, and it's gone. The family's like, what happened to the cat? Right? He's gone. A couple weeks later, the pastor walks into a house, and there's his kitty. (laughs) And and, uh, he's in the hallway there, and and he said, well, that's a beautiful kitten you got there. How'd you get your kitten? He goes, you're not going to believe this. (laughs) He said, my daughter, um, my daughter's been asking for a kitten for a long, long time. She said, oh, no, we tried to talk her out of it. No, oh, no, you don't need a kitten at this time. And she said, yeah, I really want a kitten. So they said, all right, Annie, let's go out into the garden. And if Jesus wants to give us a kitty, let's just pray out in the garden. <laughs> and they get down on their hands and knees and, like, Annie, why don't you pray? Jesus, if you want me to hand it out, there it is right there, you know? <laughs> is this how God gives us direction and leading? I don't know. <laughs> But here, here's, here's where I, I want us to be clear this morning. And I wrestle with this. I'm just going to talk with you for a little bit. I, I wrestle with this. How, how do we get leading and direction from God? Do we ask him, God, give me a sign? God, give us something supernatural. Well, he, here's the thing. Um, number one, in this text, Ahaz uh, was the one who was invited to give the sign. God, no. uh, Ahaz just didn't up and say, God, give me something. And in Scripture, it's very, very rare for God to deliver something like the cat, to little Annie, in that form and fashion. Now, we have it in Genesis. We have, we have it just in a couple of places. I was reading this week. I was kind of surprised. It happens in a couple of places where, where Abraham wanted a bride for his wife, and so he sends his servant. How would you like this? For those of you who, who, who are single, how would you like this? The, the servant goes, and, and he says to God, God, I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission on behalf of my master, and the first woman that comes and dips her her uh, pot in the water and serves me is the one that's going to marry Isaac how do you like that it's kind of like when you're dating someone if she wears a green sweater it's a go if she wears a red sweater it's a no-go right yeah God doesn't it God rarely works like like he did with Abraham right Gideon's one he put out a fleece you ever hear that phrase before then put out a fleece before God. Gideon was told to do something. He was told to take courage. He was given the mission, but he just didn't have enough faith. And he was weak, and he puts out a fleece. And he says, God, um, when, you, uh, when I wake up in the morning, the fleece needs to be all wet. It's dry now. He did. And he says, okay, I got another one for you, God. It's kind of like God's this magic trick performer. So God, when, uh, when the next morning, I, I want it not to be wet. I want it to be dry. And God did it again. God, in his great mercy and his great patience, said, okay, I'll help you in your weak faith. Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, asked God to do something supernatural, turn the uh, whole time, turn back the sun, it, and it happened. But it's very, very rare that we see things like this happen. In fact, when Jesus comes to the, to the religious leaders, Jesus says something about signs that, that makes you stand up and take notice. These religious leaders wanted to manipulate Jesus. They wanted to test him. They really didn't believe it. I think this is the key. Their hearts were not open to receiving Jesus. Their hearts really weren't open to, to listening to him. Their hearts were hardened towards him. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, show us a sign. And Jesus, very clear, an evil generation looks for a sign. But I've already given you what you're supposed to believe. I've already given you what you're supposed to do. So how do we, how do we walk through this? Here's, here's where I land. I think um, for us just to supernaturally apart and distant from us walking with God and seeking God... You see, God has already given us direction and leading. If you're you're at a crossroads and you need to make a decision, God has already given you what you need in his word, by his spirit, through his body, through other believers, through the way that God has already worked in your life, through the history that God has already written in your life. God is speaking. But what happens is that's not good enough. And so we seek something supernatural. And the reason that we do perhaps is because we don't want to do what God has asked us to do. That might be one reason. Another reason is we might not want to go through the process and through the pain. We might not want to go through the the time it takes for God to work in us and mature us and deepen our walk with him. We, We want quick answers. And so God, you need to do something supernatural right away. And it says, if we're ignoring, just like King Ahaz in verses 1 through 9, it says, if we are ignoring what God has already revealed in order for God to move in a way according to the dictates of our hearts and desires, versus open hearted, open minded, ready to depend upon God and ready for Him to work and move any way He desires. There's a difference there, isn't there? And so this morning, I would just encourage you as you come to the crossroads in your life, let me leave you with this statement here. God's grace, his supernatural working, isn't extended to us his power to dictate to him what we want from him, but instead to deepen our trust in Him so that what He desires and how He delivers is totally within His gracious and all-powerful hand. And that is when you say, God, I'm looking for you to work and move supernaturally. I don't want you walking out of here going, we shouldn't look for God to move supernaturally. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is it's a matter of the of an openness ready to obey and trust whatever he's done it's a matter of the process of growing and and and, and becoming deeper in our our trust of him and worship of him know him do you see god wanted a has to know him and depend upon him and then he would deliver This is what God is after in our lives. And then when we are walking along that path, then you say, God, you might confirm this. You might show me this in a way that I am just not seeing right now. Would you speak? Would you work? Would you move? But with the knowledge and understanding that I have now, I will act in faith according to what you say. But the king, the king, look at what he says. Verse 11 here. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. Thought number two this morning fearful hearts that refuse God's grace become hardened hearts that are headed for trouble. He's fearful. Fearful hearts that refuse God's grace become hardened hearts that are headed for trouble. He's fearful. Grace comes and he refuses it. And now his heart is so hardened, he's headed for trouble. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Oh, I'm not going to test the Lord this is what jesus said this is from the old testament this is from the from the torah from the law what moses gave hundreds of years earlier and this is what jesus quoted when satan came to him to tempt him and and jesus said You shouldn't try to manipulate or tempt the Lord your God. And so the king, acting all pious and all holy, says, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. But inside of his heart, this is what we know. Inside of his mind, this is what we know. 2 Kings chapter 16, as Isaiah was coming to him, he was already making plans to rebel and continue to have an alliance with the Assyrian Empire to do exactly what God said not to do. 2 Kings chapter 16, you can read the chapter for yourself. He begins to take gold and he begins to take uh, silver out of the temple so that he can go marching up to Damascus and he can make a deal with the Assyrians, with the global power. And in essence, he gives the gold and the silver from God's house, from God's presence, and he goes to a wicked pagan nation and he says, save me, because my God can't. It gets so bad it gets so bad that he sees this altar when he's visiting with the assyrian powers he sees this altar and he likes it so much that he he sends for the priest down in jerusalem in the temple and he says to the priest priest i love this altar so much i want a model of it in the sanctuary it's an altar where the the king's And the leaders of this pagan nation would look to their gods to try and predict the future. And the king said, I want one of those. And not only did he want one, he sets it up in the very temple of Almighty God. How hard does your heart have to be that you take a foreign altar and you put it in the middle of the holy temple of God? This is what happens when, when we refuse God's grace. Our feel for hearts become hardened hearts and we're headed for trouble. Thought number three. Well then, hardened hearts exhaust and weaken others while disappointing God. Verse 13. And he said, Is it Too much, O king, for you to weary men that you weary my God also. This is Isaiah speaking to him. He said, King, here's the deal, okay? Your hardened heart is weakening others, and your hardened heart is disappointing Almighty God. And this is where our hearts take us if we don't understand the grace of God and bring it to ourselves. In the middle of your struggle and your fears, all right? Listen. In the middle of your struggle and your fears, Don't forget that your decisions and attitudes have impact on others. In the middle of that bad marriage, in the middle of that decision that you have to make about the future, don't forget that a hardened heart has great influence on others. In the middle of your fear and struggle, we often are longing for self-preservation and for relief. But keep in mind that there is an impact of a hardened heart on others. It simply tires out those within our sphere of influence, and it simply wears God out. So suddenly, what has become an incredible opportunity for the king is now leading to trouble. So much so that from verses 17 through 25, we're not going to read it now. And from verses 1 through 10 of chapter 8, what we hear is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. And he's saying, Isaiah, here's what's going to happen. This king has refused my grace. This king won't listen to me. This king won't, he's at a crossroads. He won't choose. Here's what's going to happen, Isaiah. There's going to be judgment coming upon the nation." He's not going to be able to escape it. He's not going to be able to to, to withstand what's going to happen to him next. And so, Isaiah, I want you to to be aware that this is the effect of a hardened heart, is judgment. Now, here's the amazing thing. Verse 14, look at it again. The Lord himself will give you a sign and give you a son. His name will be Emmanuel. And by the time that the son is able to choose right and wrong, he will... The, uh, the, the threat, Israel and Syria, will be over. Who is this son? Here, here's the amazing part about this promise. Hang in there with me. This son, we don't know exactly who, it is, who he is. I remember when I was in seminary, Old Testament class, assignment. I had to figure out who this son was. The professor loved this. No one knows for certain at this point. 2,700 years, we don't know for certain. Here's a couple of guesses it could be Isaiah's son, chapter 8. Verses one and following, we have a son given to Isaiah. That could be it. Um, It could be uh, Hezekiah, Ahaz's son. It could be the prophet's son. It could be the king's son. We don't know. Some people think it references the babies that are born there within Israel, that that this was a sign that, that, that God was with the nation still. One theory says, and I like this one, that within the house of Israel, within the house of Judah, rather, there would be a woman who would give birth. And this birth would signify to the king and the royal household that this indeed is the one who has come. And by the time that son grows up and is able to distinguish between right and wrong, the threat from Israel and Syria will be completely over. And this is exactly what happened. It wasn't long after uh, Isaiah chapter 7 verses 1 through 17 that the threat from Israel and Syria is done. God was exactly right. God was true to his word. He was true to his promise. A son's going to be born when he's old. Uh, When he's able to choose between right and wrong, the threat is gone. God was faithful in delivering. God was faithful in his grace to the people of God. Here's the other part. God also needed to be faithful in his judgment. Now, I didn't see this coming when we started this series. That from, from chapter 7, verses 17, all the way down to uh, 8, verse 10, here's what you have. Because Ahaz, you have rebelled, and because you will not believe, and because you will not trust, you will be judged. And that this son... Who is coming is both a sign of grace and deliverance, but it is also a sign of judgment to those who will not believe. Amazingly, in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8 right at the heart of it. Is this little baby born to a, to a queen or to a princess or to a prophet or to, or, or, or to somebody that we don't know? Is this son that is born? We don't know his name. We don't know who his mother is exactly. But it is the seed of the gospel which shows us God's grace in bringing mercy and deliverance for those who believe, but judgment who for those who do not believe. Did you see it in there? The gospel says. And for those of you this morning, let me just pause right here for those of you this morning who have who have come and you 're in both rooms here and and you might be with guests or you might have been coming for for several weeks now here is my heart for you this Christmas that you understand how much God loves you and how much god 's grace has come to you regardless of where you are and God has through His own Son, through Jesus, offers you forgiveness and mercy. Just by you listening to my words this morning, just by you hearing out of my mouth share with you this incredible news, just by you in these two rooms hearing the words of what has been sung, hearing the scriptures, reciting the scriptures, what you are hearing is God's grace for a heart that is wayward and a heart that is perhaps running from God. And I want you to hear the very good news of Christmas, and that is God has come to deliver and to rescue you. But if you refuse, you will be judged. So I urge you to listen this morning, not as Ahaz did, but I urge you to listen with all of your heart to the incredible news that's been given in Christ. So fourthly, here's the fourth thing this morning. God's presence is in the middle of today's fears then calls us to a dependence for tomorrow's deliverance. Chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. Let me repeat that. God's presence. Here's the hope. All right, God's going to come to Isaiah after all of this. God's going to come to him. He's going to give Isaiah hope. He's going to give us hope this morning. God's presence in the middle of your fears. All right? This is what, this is what uh, God is after with the king. I want to show you a sign. Why? Because I'm with you told you all about this situation. I've told you all about my power. I've showed you my vision all because I want you to know I am with you and I'm present with you. I want you to trust me now for today and the deliverance will come. This is, this is what God is saying. God's presence in the middle of the fears of today assures us of tomorrow's deliverance. Don't get impatient. Don't get impatient. The presence of God today is what God is after. Because here's what we're after. We're after the deliverance today. God is after our dependence upon him today. Here's why God doesn't come to us often and say, ask anything you want from me, because he knows we ultimately will worship and be attached to the things that will deliver us. We will worship the answers, not the deliverer, not the one who will rescue us. And so here is the message from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. God's presence today assures you of the deliverance for tomorrow. Read with me. God brings Isaiah close to him, and he says this. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me. Can you you hear? Can you just sense the power of God speaking to Isaiah? And he warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. I love this pulls Isaiah to the side and he says very clearly and strongly Isaiah don't fear like they fear. Don't listen like the king is listening. Don't trust in those things that will rescue and save yourself. Fear me. And this makes all the difference in the world. It's such a a preachy thing to say. It's such a it seems so trite just to say trust in the presence of God but folks here's what I'm telling you if you can get a hold of of the fear and holiness and presence of God in your life and you can before him see him and encounter him then your trust will begin to deepen then your heart will become open and this is the crossroads this is when you're at the crossroads look for the presence of God long for it pray for it let him be your sanctuary the presence of God in your life to lead you and guide you and to direct you yes there are other things to consider when you're at the crossroads but begin there begin there. Last point, we're done this morning. God's presence and deliverance is fully realized in God's Son. Here's the beauty of Christmas. As I was thinking about it this week, here's the beauty of this story of Ahaz and his sin and his rebellion and the prophet pleading with him and bribing the Assyrians to come help him. Here's the beauty of the Christmas story. God Knows our sin and our rebellion and our waywardness. God knows the fears and the uncertainties that we face. God knows the challenges. He knows how you're wired, and He has come in the form of Jesus at Christmas time to die and to be raised to life so that you could experience His presence. That's the beauty of Christmas. That, that this sanctuary that Isaiah talks about is the same sanctuary that perhaps John talked about in John chapter 1 when John said, we've be, we, we be, we beheld the glory of, of God and it's in human form, it's in human flesh, and God came and dwelt among us. He literally, the language is he, he, he tabernacled among us. He, ten, he pitched his tent. God came and pitched a tent among us us in our fears and uncertainties and challenges and in our sin. And when Isaiah says, when God says to Isaiah I'll be your sanctuary, Jesus comes and says I'll be your sanctuary that gives us hope this morning. No matter where you are it gives you great hope if you only trust him. Some of you need to trust him for the first time. Some of you this week, this season, this day you need to trust Him fully and completely. You need to give your life to Him. But for all of us this morning, this is a wake-up call. A wake-up call, a reminder to walk in the Spirit, to walk in the counsel of God, in the Word of God, to walk seeking God's face at the crossroads and longing for His presence, then acting courageously and obediently just as Joseph did. I love that phrase. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded. So simple and so clean and so clear and Joseph did it. May we do it as well. Let's pray together. Father Father, there's a lot to do today and a lot to do this week and we're ready to go. We're ready to travel. We're ready to shop. We're ready to spend time with our families. But Father, this moment right now could be the most critical aspect of the Christmas season for some who are seated here and in the other room. And You might be calling and you might be working and you might be moving some to to place their faith and their trust in you. Some because of where they are right now in their lives, in their fear, and some where they are in the, the crossroads of opportunity. But Lord, we pray that you would look at your people and in your grace, cause your people to respond with great obedience and trust and worship. And that Father, deep, deep down inside in hearts right now, that there would be a working of your spirit to the point where we respond, all of us, to exactly what you have in front of us. May we not be like King Ahaz. May we be like Joseph. So Lord, here's your people. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen your people by your grace. Lord, there are those here who do not know you. Would you reveal yourself in a mighty way to them? All for the glory of God. And we pray this prayer now. In Jesus' name, amen.